Hi, my name is Jameson. Welcome to the Unexpected Experts Podcast, a show where we dive into the vast spectrum of human knowledge and the ways that our experiences make us experts in unexpected ways. Thanks so much for listening. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. Uh, this week I have my buddy Josh McDonald on. So Josh is currently a video game designer here at a small studio in Calgary. Uh, we go into the whole backstory about how he got involved with this company and all the work that he's doing and it's it's a pretty cool conversation. So Josh and I connected a little while ago and we went out for some beers and had some fried chicken and uh, <laughs> just decided to to take the really good, engaging, fun, widespreading conversation that we are having and essentially just record the whole thing for all of you. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, this episode is a little bit longer than normal. It's about an hour and a half or so. So don't let that deter you. Um, I have some musical breaks throughout like I do normally throughout an episode. So if you find that it's running a bit long, just wait until the next musical break, hit pause and then come back. Uh, it's all good. So. Uh, without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Josh. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This week, I have my friend Josh McDonald, uh, Joshua, Josh McDonald on. Um, we are just chilling in my in my living room right now, a bunch of sheets up and mics up. And so if it's a little echoey, then that's, that's why. Um, Josh is originally born in Canada, moved to the States when he was a kid. Mm-hmm grew up or spent a lot of his life growing up in the States and then moved to Calgary about five years ago, I think. Yeah, five or six. Five or six years ago uh, to help plant a church up here in Calgary, which, mm-hmm. which is how we met. And um, the, rest is, the rest is history. So, um, Josh, uh, welcome to Unexpected Experts, man. Hey, Jamal. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's, uh, it's lovely being here in this, uh, this studio with all these sheets everywhere and uh, just to, to chat about life and what's going on. Studio, I feel like, is a pretty generous generous term for, for this little setup, but I will take it. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would love to just go into, I know that was like a really, really bare bones intro about who you are and where you're from and all that. Just give us a little like superhero origin story on who Josh is. Oh man, uh, I came out and uh, you know was surrounded with Krypton and got <laughs> sent to sent to America. No, uh, yeah, I was I was born in uh, in New Brunswick, Canada, and uh, to a great family, one little brother. And when I was six years old, uh, my dad got a job in North Carolina, uh, which is southern U.S., about as far as I think you can get from Maritimes, Canada. Uh, that's, and that's pretty far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, you know, I was six years old, so I didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. So I got moved with my dad's job to North Carolina. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really where I grew up. Um, I lived there from six until, uh, 22 years old. Um, and a big part of, you know, my, my, uh, the core of who I am has, has strong Southern roots. Yeah. Um, and, uh, loved growing up there. And when I was in university, I had the opportunity to intern two separate summers up here in Calgary. And uh, the second summer just fell in love with the city, met a whole bunch of cool people. I think that's when we met was probably during so, that yeah. summer. Yeah. Um, we probably played some games together in a friend's living room and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and got to know each other and uh, then moved up here. And uh, I mean, the rest is the rest is history. A lot's happened in the last um 
five or six years. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was what was it that brought you up here for that internship initially? Yeah. So at the time, I was a student at a seminary in North Carolina, going to school uh, for Christian studies. And had the really cool opportunity to lead some groups of uh, college students up, um, basically on mission, to engage with the city, uh, work with some local churches, and really just plug into the culture um, of the city of Calgary. Uh, And so it was really cool at the time being Canadian and getting to bring a whole bunch of uh, American, southern U.S., uh, you know, college students up to Canada to really experience um, what I, what I, you know, truly loved. And, um, we spent a lot of time in Canada over the summers, even once we lived in the States. And so, um, it was just a really cool opportunity to help people engage with uh, culture that isn't a whole lot different than the U S culture, but in, in a couple crucial ways is, is really different and unique. And so, uh, get to come up with them and, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'd love to get into, you know, what, what life has been like here and maybe, where you are now. Yeah. Maybe what the last five years has looked like for you just being in Calgary. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start at the end of the story and then go back and fill it in. So, uh, right now I have the really cool privilege of having two really cool jobs. Um, the first is as a general manager for uh, a telecoms company. So we, we take fiber optic internet to rural Alberta towns, uh, which is is super cool and gets to engage with parts of the world that don't have access to phenomenal internet um, and get them connected to the internet, which uh, it may be weird to say, but I, I truly love um, the internet and what it, what it can do for people and relationships. Um, and then the other job that I have uh, is as a lead game designer for a little studio called Studio Monsoon um, here in town. And we make video games, which is just like every little boy's dream come true. Uh, <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. As to like yeah. what you get to grow up to be. Um, compare that to when I moved to Calgary, uh, I moved here to work for a church, uh, which is, <laughs> feels like, like an eternity apart from one another, but uh, it almost, almost feels like an opposite thing mm-hmm. from what you're doing now in a way too. <laughs> yeah. It, and certainly like, especially growing up in the church, there were definitely, uh, days of, you know, Sundays where I sat in church and listened to, to pastors kind of, you know, rail against the, uh, the evils of video games yeah. and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so when I moved here, uh, it was to be part of a, a church plant that was just getting started up. And um, I think what was really cool was that kind of through my story, there was never a point where I totally did a 180 and went, okay, we're going to go in a totally different direction. Um, but it was cool to see skills kind of roll over into one another and to see what to see what God had for me in terms of like this weird journey that I've been on for the last uh, five or six years. So um, worked uh, doing community engagement through uh, the local church and uh, loved it, met a whole bunch of amazing people, yourself included, um, and really got to, to build a community. Uh, while I was there, I met this awesome woman that ended up becoming my wife. Um, who I am incredibly grateful for. Her name's uh, Yvette. I'll probably mention her uh, off Maybe. and on. Once yeah. or twice. Oh, we'll yeah, see. yeah. She's, yeah. she's you know, kind of important within my story. <laughs> um, and from there, you know, I transitioned to a role at Calgary Meals on Wheels, doing community outreach for them. Right, uh, yeah. And get it, just engaging, getting to engage with the city in a way that was, you know, uh, really making a difference. 
Um, and that's something that is really important to me as, you know, I look at all of these different positions that I've been in and just going, you know, like what, what is going to improve people's lives? Um, and whether it's getting food to people that are, um, maybe financially not as well off or, um, people who are just struggling, you know, getting them food or helping people get community, uh, connected with a community of faith or, uh, getting people connected to the internet. Like the internet is a utility that is so important. Um, and I ended up working for Meals on Wheels for about two years. Uh, and during that time, I, uh, and we can kind of go into this specifically cause it's kind of this like parallel journey, but, um, got into, you know, working on games and, and building video games and that sort of thing. Uh, and you know, uh, after that time at meals on wheels kind of, uh, I found, I had a friend actually who knew me quite well and, uh, she worked for the person that was starting this internet company. Okay. Uh, and she knew that they were looking for a general manager and so reached out to me and were, was like, you'd be perfect for this. Uh, and it was kind of one of those weird times in life where I think you you apply for something and go like, man, this would be a great position. I'm really qualified for it. I think I have all the skills for it. Uh, but just due to maybe it's a, a combination of your own like belief in yourself and just like maybe belief in others being able to see what you have inside of you mm. um, and just going like, man, this is this is such a cool job, but this is never going to happen. And unbelievably, it happened. Um, and it's it's and been how long ago was that? Uh, pretty recently. It was. Uh, oh, gosh, only three months ago. Um, oh, dang. That, that whole process happened. Yeah. So. Uh, it was one of those kind of crazy whirlwind moments where uh, my friend messaged me on a Monday telling me that the job was available. I sent in my application on Tuesday, like literally just emailed the president of the company because wow. my friend gave me his email. <laughs> and then on Wednesday, I interviewed and Thursday, he offered me the job. Wow. Um, and it was just one of those like moments where like I woke up that starting that week of like, I think I know exactly what my week's going to look like. <laughs> and by Thursday, I'm like, my whole life has changed. <laughs> Everything um, is different. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, two weeks later, I was I was working there and um, it's it's been amazing and it's been such a great time of really pushing myself and uh, running at this point, not not one, but essentially partially running two companies yeah. um, with the, the video game stuff on the side. And so, uh, yeah, we, you know, scaling and, you know, figuring out how to grow a company and connect with people where they're at and work with partners. And there's, there's so much that goes into it that is really cool from a position of a general manager of, of getting to see all these different sides of, of, of business and how to run a company mm -hmm. and um, be a good manager and, and all of these, these things that um, I think I've looked up to people in their, their forties and fifties that, that run successful companies and, now here I am in my, my mid to late twenties figuring it out. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I mean, like you've got your thumb in the pie kind of all over the place too, right? Like you're not just managing people, but you're also developing your own stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool because I think a lot of time, like I, th I feel like middle management is like a, a dirty word. Like no one likes middle right, management, yeah. but I, you know, like, um, middle management kind of comes with its pros and cons and one of the cool parts about being a manager at a startup is that really you get to shape and push the company forward mm. um, and go like this is the kind of culture that I want to create with our staff but also this is the sort of relationship I want to have with our, our customers okay. um, and how do we craft you know 
campaigns and marketing rollouts that, that reinforce that sort of relationship and the sort of company that, that we want to, to have and um, to engage in to meet people's needs. love to get maybe like while we're kind of in this rewinding frame too like maybe some of your history in games like what games did you maybe grow up playing or what games really grabbed your attention later in life um yeah give us the whole rundown there yeah because it's it's interesting that that five-year history i i feel like i I ran through my resume just now of like that's what was happening to me professionally (laughs) but uh really that whole time on the side, there was something happening between me, like like this relationship that I had with video games. Um, and like all kids, I think uh, I grew up with uh, some gaming, but uh, not a whole lot. Um, we had a, I'm going to show, show my young age here. I had a GameCube and a Wii growing up um, <laughs> was, was what we had as kids. Um, and my parents probably accurately put some pretty strict limits on how often we were allowed to game and what games we were allowed to play, like nothing violent, you know, nothing like no Halo or Call of Duty, like nothing that my friends were playing. I mean, not that you would find those games on Nintendo systems anyway. Yeah. And when (laughs) I didn't realize at the time, but I'm pretty sure that's why my parents were buying those ones of like, you know, of like, oh, he'll just play some wholesome Mario games. You were already being censored. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Absolutely. There's a reason we didn't have Xbox 360. Um, but yeah, so, you know, growing up playing games like that, I, I, I really remember probably two games from as a kid and that was Legend of Zelda Wind Waker and Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. And they were just these sweeping epic stories where you were this kid saving the world, um, and really loved it and really loved escaping into these, these fantasy worlds. And, um, what was interesting is that as I kind of grew up through high school, um, I, I don't think I grew out of video games. It just became something I didn't really think about as much. Sure. Um, I didn't have any modern consoles. My friends had all moved on to, to first person shooters, like call of duty and that sort of thing. And, um, I kind of just, I don't know, left, left the games uh, behind. Uh, and that was true all the way through university, um, up until my last semester of university when, uh, I'd gotten some new roommates and one of the guys had a gaming PC. Um, which is the very first time in my life that I'd really ever come across one, like the concept of a gaming PC, mm. but also just somebody who was like a PC gamer. Yeah. Totally. Um, and there, there definitely is that divide between like console and yeah, PC for sure. Yeah. There's like, I don't know the, on the online there's, there's this silly little war that rages between the two of like the console peasants and yeah. like the, the superior g- like gaming PC, PC master race. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's all tongue in cheek. Like no one, no one actually cares. Um, uh, but it's just this fun game that kind of gets played between the two. And, uh, at the time this guy was my new roommate and he, he was like, dude, check out this game that's coming out. And it was this game called doom. Um, and it was a remake of a game that came out in the nineties, you know, hugely successful. It, it invented the first person shooter genre. Um, and I was like, Oh cool. Like, like, are you going to get it? He was like, yeah, yeah. Check out the trailer. And so we watched the game trailer, which is also probably the very first time that I'd come across the concept of a video game trailer. Right. (laughs) Um, and it was like, I don't know, like 
it's like that moment in a, a movie where like the camera zooms in on the, the hero's face and it's just like mind blown because like it was just it was epic there was this heavy distorted metal on top of this aggressive gameplay and um i don't want to at all paint video games as all graphic and violent yeah. uh but this this game was yeah this um, one in particular yeah this definitely. one in particular uh was and what was really cool about the marketing that went along with the game was that more than other games that I had seen, which is more so just about like, you know, shoot this, go here, explode this. Um, the marketing around the the game was all around the like the game design and the mechanics of the game. And um, the big thing that I remember was they kept talking about this concept of push forward gameplay. Okay. Um, that most uh, shooters at the time uh, had basically regenerating health. And so if at any point during a fight you got damaged, basically it was in your best interest to take a step back and hide behind a wall while your health came back. Right. Yeah. Um, and they said, that's boring. We don't want to do that. We want push forward mechanics. And so uh, the only way to get your health back in Doom is to get health pickups. And the only things that drop health pickups are enemies. So the concept is if if a baddie is killing you, the only way to get your health back is to kill the thing killing you. Right. And so it, it leads to this frantic, fast-paced, aggressive, over-the-top gameplay um, that is just like an adrenaline pump. And it was just unlike anything I'd really ever come across. And so we were both poor college students, and I was like, okay, dude, like let's let's split the price of this game, like this $80 game or whatever when it came out. And we both put in 40 bucks and bought it. Um, and that was the very first video game I played as an adult. Um, and really the first, I probably the first video game I actually beat, uh, was at 21 wow. years old. Uh, <laughs> and what's crazy is <laughs> looking back now, I can't, I don't understand why I didn't just like run out and buy a gaming PC that exact moment. <laughs> uh, but I didn't, I, I, I ended up doing a second internship in Canada and moving to Canada and really didn't think about it until, uh, like October of my first year in Canada when I was suddenly staring down like eight months of winter right going like yeah. what in the world am I supposed to do for yeah, the next eight months I mean our winters don't mess around no and know? like you're you're stuck inside I just moved to Canada so like I didn't have a huge friend's circle to like get me out of the house or to go to friend's house and so I was like just staring at a long period of being indoors and so I was like you know what like let's build a gaming PC um, and so I scrapped together some cash and, you know, bought a whole bunch of parts and then built it myself on the, the floor of my bedroom. And, um, from there, I mean, really just entered into this, like, I don't know, ever since this love of games and discovering different games and understanding what makes them tick and what makes them interesting and discovering that there's not just violent, aggressive shooters out there, but there's, um, you know, racing games, there's impactful story games. There's a game called the Witcher three, uh, which made me cry because right. there's a, a part that's just so impactful to me that it just moves me emotionally. Um, and growing in that and really loving to learn the design in particular of games, um, to the point where I feel like there's a narrative with a lot of men and not that this is right or wrong, but just a lot of men get married and kind of go like, oh, okay. And then that's, you know, that's when I hung up the controller on the yeah, wall yeah. and, you yeah. know, I had to give up my, my love of games. And, uh, that was never the case with my wife and I have, mm -hmm. she always understood that this was 
an important part of, of who I was and not just, um, something that I do for fun, but truly like a main hobby of mine. Um, and she got to the point where she would sit when we were dating. And even now as we're married, um, she'll just sit and watch me play games. We call it backseat gaming. Um, yeah, where she, like, if it's a competitive game, she loves watching sports. And to her, it's like watching a sports match of, you know, her husband is one of the main players and it's online intense combat against other people or, um, you know, in a challenging game, watching me try and get through a level or something like that. And she's played, she started to play a bit herself. Um, when we got married, uh, I would get home from work generally an hour and a half before she would. And so that was always a time for me to just play games. So I got home every day. I played about an hour and a half of games. She'd get home. I'd wrap up. And then we'd spend our evenings together or apart or whatever. Um, But that was like my time. And I kind of hit a point where during COVID, I was just very unfulfilled with my life. Um, work had kind of come to a grinding halt as it had for many people. Um, And I was kind of looking at all this time that, I felt unfulfilled because I wasn't creating much at work. And, uh, at the same, at the time I was at, at meals on wheels and, uh, I was coming home and then I kind of felt like I was wasting that time playing games. And, uh, I went, you know what? Like I, I love games. I love the design of it. I would love to start making games. And so I set aside that hour and a half as like, this is my time to learn to make games and to start making Whoa. a game. And so every instead day, of, instead of just like, playing the games that you like actually saying, how can I do this for myself? Like yeah. taking that time intentionally that you already had set aside. Yeah. yeah as as this cool. productive time to pour into something that I already loved. Totally. Um, yeah. And so I, I literally Googled how to make a video game. Wow. <laughs> uh, and from there found, you know, there's a handful of core engines that, you know, that I, at the time, you know, amateurs used. And one of them was this game engine called unity. Uh, and I had this game in my head that I wanted to make. And so I, uh, sat down and unity had these great tutorials where they were 40 hour tutorials. But the idea was that, um, that's not messing around. No, no, no. And like, it's broken up into chapters, right? So you do like a 30 minute chapter here and there. Uh, and the idea is, is that over the course of this 40 hour tutorial, you'll end up with a game. Oh, cool. And so it's it's this idea of not just sitting in a class learning about these concepts, but really just sitting down and doing and creating. Um, and so I sat down and and I did it. Uh, and it it took me probably maybe a month and a half, two months. And I kind of got to the end and I had the beginnings of this game that I had been making and I felt pretty confident. And so I just, you know, use that as like that that push off point of like now I go out into the great unknown of just yeah. making a game. And so I and what, continue- what was that game that you made? Uh so it it had a, a project, uh like a, a project name called Prometheus. Cool. Um and uh, I'll glaze through this quickly for anyone that whose eyes will glaze over. It was basically a top-down 2D uh, looter shooter. So yeah. along the lines of like a Destiny 2 or Borderlands. So I started I started doing that and um, had this very core vision for the game I wanted to make. And did that for a number of months and just kind of worked away with it with the intention of like, hey, when this is at a place where I'm happy with it, either try and release it on my own or try and find a publisher who, who would pay me to release it. Um, and at the time I was watching these great conferences called games done, uh, uh, game, uh, Oh my goodness. GDC, 
game developer conference. That was okay. what it was called. And they post most of their, their talks from their conferences on their YouTube channel. Oh, cool. And a lot of the talks were not just about game design, but a lot of them were the more business side of like, here's how to actually get a game published and do this. And so I was watching those. I would often watch the conference while I was coding. And uh, yeah, I, I was doing that and had the game in a really, really early stage. So at the time it felt very good. Like I felt like I had gotten a lot done. Um, and of all places, I had gone to a picnic with my church one day after church and I was sitting or I was standing in like a circle of people like hitting a volleyball back and forth, like, like keep them up. It's like, like, I don't know what that's oh, yeah. called. Yeah. Um, but just like keeping a volleyball up and, uh, we were talking about what we do for fun. And I mentioned that I like to throw darts as like a good way of like, you know, relaxing my mind when I'm coding and they get stuck on code or something. And the guy that was new to the circle, I'd never met him before, was like, oh, cool, like you, you code? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, what do you do? And I was like, you know, I make games in, in uh, with C Sharp. And he was like, yeah, yeah, but like, what do you code in? I was like, well, I code in Unity. And he was like, do you want a job? No kidding. And I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? And he's like, yeah, I work for a game studio and we're looking for a developer to come on to just do some part-time freelance work wow. in, in Unity. And literally, I think the next words out of my mouth were, I don't think I'm good enough. <laughs> like literally, I told him that. I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty new at this. I'm not sure. Like, I'm good enough to get paid to do this. Right. And what was the timeline on that meeting? Like, when did that happen? Uh, Honestly, it would have been probably four to five months. Wow. Of coding, so, of pretty much every day coding. Yeah. Um. So certainly I had some experience under my belt and I had written some, like even looking back, I'd written some pretty good code. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you just bring your project over one day and I'll take a look at it cool. and look through your code and see if, if I think you have what it takes. I was like, okay. And I remember like driving home and looking at my wife and just being like, what just happened? Yeah. Seriously. She was like, yeah, what, what were you talking about with that guy? I'm like, he wants me to, he wants to pay me <laughs> to make video, <laughs> to make games. video games. And <laughs> she's like, what, what, like, are you good enough to do that? You know, like, like, like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I have no idea. And like, uh, it was, wow. it was just this crazy moment. And so I, you know, packed up all my code and brought it over on a flash stick and he looked through it and he was like, dude, you've, you've written a lot of code for where you're at. He's like, Honestly, at this point, we, you clearly have the skill and we care more about humility than anything. That's like, cool. You're teachable. Um, and I went, all right, let's do it. And so I started just freelancing, doing some random work with them. Um, did, did quite well. Um, just doing like as a freelancer, especially working, you know, the hours that I was working, it's kind of like you get handed a task and it's like, like build the animations for the end game screen. So right. like when you win a game, make it so that this happens. And so yeah. then you go in and you build it um, and then you hand it back and then they go, okay, do this. Um, and at the time we were kind of working through that. And when I finished that up, they said like, Hey, you know, um, you know, we're, we're a young company. Uh, we're kind of in a place where we want to start working on internal projects. Money's a little tight. Would you be willing to just kind of continue working with us basically for free at the time? Um, and I went, you know, like, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's jump into it. And so, cause you were uh, just enjoying it that much at that point that money yeah. almost wasn't an issue. When it's interesting, both the, the guy that ended up offering me the job, he's a good friend of mine now. Uh, his name's Colton. 
Um, and both Colton and I have a very similar philosophy of like, if you are good at something and you can create art or code, or you can make beautiful music, like exposure is not good payment. Like you I should get paid. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah. uh, you should get paid for your work. And so it was interesting. It was never a conversation of like, Hey, uh, you know, uh, you come work for us for free, like as an intern or something. It was just always like, Hey, we don't have the money to pay anyone. Um, but will you come in and, and work for us? And then when the money comes in, the money comes in for you too. Uh, and I went, okay, you know, like, let's, uh, let's do that. You know, like that's such a, I think that's a pretty fair trade off. Like you're, you're still exchanging your time for dollars for sure. But, but there's that promise on the other end of it too. Like they, they will make it up to you instead of just the exposure thing, which is, it's so crazy that that's, that that's been such a thing for so long. Yeah. Like exposure is helpful, but it's only a piece of it, right? It's only a little, little piece. Well, we, we were actually talking about this this week, actually. Um, one of the other, uh, one of the other directors, he was talking about like exposure is great, but it should always be a bonus. Hmm. That's cool. Like exposure is a phenomenal value add to anything. Um, but it should always be a bonus on top of what you're actually getting yeah, out of it. It should be the icing on the cake, not the bottom layer of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because no one wants icing on the bottom of no. the cake. Yeah, that's no. No, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we started working on some internal projects, lining up some external projects. Uh, kind of through that um, time, uh, I kind of fell into a role of uh, game design and kind of brought a specific skill set beyond just being a coder, but going hey, I really enjoy, you know, designing games and thinking about like what makes a game fun and like what makes a game not fun. Like that's right. that's actually a really tricky question. Um, and we have a, uh, I guess I'm not even sure what to call him, a consultant, director, who knows, an amazing, amazing game designer who's been in the industry for like, I don't know, I don't want to over or undersell him for like 25 years. Wow. Uh, and has worked on like some huge games over the last couple of decades. And like, in terms of blessings in my life, there's been a handful of points where I've had some amazing people come along beside of me and me get to learn from them. And he is 100% one of those people. Um, uh, his name is Chris and uh, he's, he's phenomenal. And getting to sit down and kind of take my, you know, my young glowy eyed enthusiasm and go, okay, how do we actually do this? And him go, okay, let's rein this in. Let's let's blow this up. Okay, stop working on that. We don't need to do that. We need to do this. Um, totally. Like someone in the industry who's been there who knows where to trim the fat and, yeah. and where to like focus the creativity and, and the potential and all that. Yeah, and just learning that that balance there from him. Um, and so as we kind of approach some some pretty cool jobs that we kind of got from like a more like work for hire jobs. Um the company kind of took the opportunity to restructure a bit um, and move me in as a as a director uh, and one of the uh, the co owners, which is really, I mean, no big deal. Uh, I mean, it's it's an incredible moment where I can't I can't do anything but step back and just be humble and grateful for it. Um, and it's so cool to see the team that we have and just looking like we have. Uh, Oh, what is it now? Six people on the team. Um, five of whom That's are not a small group. Five honestly. of whom are, who are full time, which is wow, is uh, really incredible. Um, and all really talented in right. really in really complementary ways. Like we have guys that can build amazing backend systems that I couldn't even begin to understand. Um, and then other guys who 
one guy who's like a great musician. And so he just like makes sound effects and cool. music for games. And, um, you know, to be able to come along beside of all those talented people and kind of go, okay, like, here's the design, here's the idea. Like, let's push in this direction. Let's work on this. Um, and I lead internal projects at the moment. So, okay. uh, basically, um, our games that we're working on ourselves, uh, I get to help push forward and kind of dream for and, and dream big. And, uh, so yeah. then, so you as a company do stuff internally for your own development to produce a product that you can sell. Yeah. But then you also get contracts outside too. Yeah. So like how does that work? So the uh, I'll, I'll call it the games industry. Okay. Uh, the the video game industry uh, is a tough place um, because there are lots and lots of people that that love video games that want to make them and pay tribute to them uh, and. Only so many games can be successful, <laughs> sure. you know, uh, to a to a global market. And so, uh, in order to keep money coming in, there is a balance there to be found between. Uh, and again, this all depends on a specific company's model and what you want to do. Uh, and so, for us, external games are a way for us to pay the bills, but also develop our skills while making cool stuff along the way. Right. Um, we're working on one particularly big project at the moment that uh, is going to be really cool when it gets released because I'm going to get to send the link to, you know, to my mom and be like, hey, like play this game and and experience uh, something that that I made, um, which is really cool. And uh, at the same time, by working on projects like that, it gives us uh, runway in order to basically um, work on projects that don't pay yet um, with the hopes that one day they will. And so, gotcha. um, you know, even a moderate sized game, uh, can take, you know, six months to a year of game development. And, you know, uh, that's, that's a lot of runway. That what what does generate. a moderate sized game look like? like? What would be a good example of that, that, that oh. people might recognize? Um, I'm trying to think of a moderate sized game that I've played recently. On the Switch, I've played two. Uh, we have a Nintendo Switch, and we've played two games. Uh, one was called uh, Celeste. Um, that's about a probably a twelve-hour game. Um, okay. It's probably a little. I, I would definitely call it more than a moderate game, um, but it's not what would be considered like AAA, um, which would be like one of the the big games. Um, and Celeste was made by a relatively small team over the course of a couple of years, cool. um, and has been very successful. Uh, but yeah, generally like a game that, that runs like four to six hours would be considered like a small to moderate okay. game. So like you jump in and then four to six hours afterwards, like You're you've done. gone through all the levels, you've beaten all the bosses, you've done the thing and you've accomplished the big goal at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can, yeah. we can qualitative that way or just like that you're done experiencing the game. Right. Whether, whether that's the end or that's just, you're, you're done all the content, you know, like. There's so many different ways of progressing through games now. Um, there's there's a few areas that I want to go into. So um, maybe since we're talking about like the, the world that you live in with all these other people in this company that you work with, um, in the world of games, maybe that you develop versus what you've seen in other parts of the industry, you know, with really, really big companies like EA or Blizzard or yeah. 
whatever else, these massive, massive companies, what advantages do you have as a smaller company? And what's the hardest part about working with a company that doesn't have the same weight to throw around as the big guys? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of starting off with, uh, you know, what, what are the big differences between, you know, what they can do and, and what we can do? Uh, I think not to paint all big companies in a certain way, but oftentimes bigger companies are publicly traded with shareholders. Right. And so at the end of the day, while I'll give shareholders the, the, the best benefit of the doubt that they care about their companies putting out good games, sure. they exist to make money. Um, yeah. and they, they bought those shares for a reason. They, yeah, they're looking for a return on their investment. And so um, for a company like, uh, here, I'll pick on EA because they're really easy to pick on. Sure. So they make all of the, uh, most of the, the sport games that you would know. So like FIFA, uh, WWE, that's those like sorts of Madden. games. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure they do those too. Uh, they kind of, in the early 2000s, they bought up all the rights to right. all the games. Um, and so now if you want to play as your favorite uh, NFL superstar, you have to buy an EA game. And if you want to play as uh, you know, like <laughs> I know nothing about football, but if your favorite player <laughs> moved to uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars last year, if you want to play as that, you have to own the latest version of Madden in order to play with them. And so okay. it doesn't really matter whether or not they make the game better from the 2020 version to the 2021 version. They know people are still going to buy it. So does every year in a Madden game... Yep coincide with the current team's lineup yeah so if you want the current lineup you have to buy the current years you have to buy madden 21 that just shows how much i know about sports yeah. video games <laughs> it's yeah literally well, nothing <laughs> and so like to to that model it's it's really about making as much money as possible sure. um and then even just like uh take a great video game in my opinion uh, of destiny 2 uh destiny 2 is made by uh oh it's the same company that did halo right Bungie. Bungie. Yes. Yeah. And Bungie is owned by some big publisher now that I'm blanking on at the moment, but uh, they have made a very cool game that I've dumped hundreds of hours into. I love Destiny 2. Um, but it is designed to continually make you spend money. Right. Um, whether that's ethical or not, I, I won't go into with that I mean, particular game. Really, at the end of the game. day, it's probably just a good business model. Absolutely. And the thing is, is like, I've I've paid a lot of money into that game and it's gotten me so many hours of enjoyment out of it. And I never felt pressured into it. It was very much just me going, hey, I like this game. I want to continue to get good content from it and support the developers. Totally. So I'm happy to do that. Um, what is cool to see with smaller developers is that it's often just a group of people who are really passionate about games. And so you end up getting really cool outside of the box games that aren't designed to make a billion dollars. They're just designed to be a fun experience for the people that play it. And so you end up with little games like Celeste where um, it's a platformer. So like Mario, you jump from platform to platform and the, uh, the story is that you're trying to get to the top of the mountain. Cool. Uh, and instead of there being enemies, the enemy is your own self-doubt. And so your own self-doubt is personified as this like, like this dark version of yourself. And every time you run into your own self-doubt, she kind of like 
she yells at you and discourages you. And there are moments where like you're feeling you're like you're about to fail and you have to like run away from your own self doubt to get to the top of this mountain that you never thought you could accomplish. And Mm. what's so cool is the gameplay is really challenging. So you as a player are struggling and there are moments where you're stuck on 11 and you're like, I'm never going to accomplish this. And you feel the exact same way as Celeste does. And so when you and the main character get to the top of the mountain, there's this, this euphoria of like, Oh my goodness, I've overcome my own self doubt. And so has Celeste. Oh, that's so cool. And it's such a great idea. It's mechanically so well done. And it's something that only a small little team could have thought of and accomplished. And so as a small dev, like as a small dev team, we have the opportunity to really sit down and go, Obviously, we need funding, so we need to make a game that somebody wants to pay for. But at the same time, we really get to make something that's going to be really cool and something that we really want to play. And um, as as I design games and as we look at features and try stuff out, like ultimately something our whole team will kind of echo is this idea of like we just want to make games that we want to play. Mm. Um, And my heart goes out to some of these really, really, really talented like artists and coders that work for some of these big companies that, you know, are so passionate, so talented. And then some executive goes like, okay, you need to, uh, you need to work on all these cosmetic skins that we're going to release. And the only way players can get it is if they pay $30 so that they can just like flex on their friends at school. Yeah. Um, and that, that sucks. Like it's a reality of gaming. I know why it's there. Games need to make money. Um, but at the same time, it's like, man, those, those are really talented people that, um, I hope get the opportunity to work on really cool projects if this is a stepping stone for them. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. Like having the creativity, but then also, you know, you have to, you're you're still working for the corporate machine too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so do you want your paycheck or do you not at the end of the day? And like, that's a, that's a tough decision to have Mm -hmm. to make and. I feel like the same can be said like in the music industry too a little bit, you know, artists like Adele that are singing for however many years and they blow their voice however many times and they have to give vocal surgery, but then that's the sound that makes the money. That's yeah. the sound that's gotten them to where they are. So they're sacrificing their own creativity and development as an artist for the sake of making the label money, which is paying them or at least trying to pay off sure. the advance that they've gotten. And yeah. when it's interesting too, cause I think that it's, I think it's a, f- a feeling that is shared by many workers. They mm-hmm. go to work and they don't really like what they do, but they need to make the money. So they stay. Sure. Um, and for me, that was definitely not, not the exact sentiment that I had when I started just making games on my own, but of just being like, I want to make this thing and no one will pay me to do it, but I just, I want to do it as an expression of my own creativity. And so I started and there was a moment where I don't work on my own personal projects anymore just because I don't have time. Um, and so I essentially gave up my freedom to make whatever I want in order to one, be a part of something bigger than myself because our team will, I believe will one day make something incredible. That's so much bigger than what I could have ever made on my own. Um, and even just seeing like the project that we're working through right now, um, in a handful of months, we've, we've accomplished a really fun game that I'm really excited to get released and to show off. And it's more than I could have ever accomplished on my own. Um, and so for me, sacrificing that freedom to be a part of something bigger and then also get paid for it is a sacrifice that I see as a completely good thing that I would make a thousand times over. Totally. 
Yeah. It's almost like a band. Really? Like yeah. a, I'm I'm such a music minded type of person, but you know, there's only so much that um John Mayer can do on his own without without the John Mayer trio. Yeah. Right? Like those three are musical monsters. Like all three of them are such incredible artists in their own right. Um, but then when they come together, they make this hugely popular and musically yeah. diverse little, little when even group. when you th- when you think about like how we all kind of came together and went hey no money's coming in right now but we're gonna keep working yeah that's 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 a band getting together totally of being like we're just gonna practice in the basement until yep. some bar lets us play at we're it. not we're not signed yet but we're gonna work until we can get there yeah and you know you get gigs here and there to to build up your skill and to get better and you know that's 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 pay for hire until you get so you get signed to a big project or you get the money to make an album and you know it's it's really just that that pursuit of creativity and creating something um, whether you are the lyricist or you know you're just finding those technical baselines that just that just hit really hard yeah um, and just coming together to create that together thing that I really want to touch on is this whole idea of like gamification that we were talking about the other day Um, because I think that's such a it's such an incredible realm that I feel is still sort of in its infancy yeah in a lot of ways but it's it's reached out into the modern world and into popular culture probably more than we realize Mm -hmm. so um, how would how would you define the term gamification first of all yeah, so gamification is the idea of taking, uh, I'll, I'll use the word game mechanics, so the things that make games tick and make them fun to play, and applying them to things that are not games. Cool. Uh, so, like, a classic example, and we it's it's almost like a joke at this point, but it, it's the core of, of most gamification is uh, humans love watching numbers go up. We just do like watching numbers go up is just an amazing thing. Um, And whether you're playing a a video game like World of Warcraft where like, okay, I had this, you know, this piece of armor and it gave me, you know, 1800 uh, points. But now I have this piece of armor and it gives me 1804 pieces of armor. (laughs) And like that's that little euphoria of like, oh, man, I just love watching numbers go up or um, seeing your subscriber count on your podcast or YouTube channel go up that one or two is is euphoric. Um, and to it's an ex- a, it's a little bit of a dopamine hit every time. Yeah. yeah. And so good games and good game design basically is designed to always keep you no more than like a few seconds or a minute or two away from your next kind of hit. Sure. Um, and a lot of this I'll talk about almost like in terms of like, I don't know, almost like a drug, but like this idea of all games pretty much have a, like a, 10 to 30 second gameplay loop that are always going to give you feedback. That's going to give you that, that positive hit. And then they're going to have um, like two to five minute gameplay loops. And then uh, generally a 10 to half an hour gameplay loop. Okay. Um, and so the idea is that no matter what you're doing in the game, you always have a hit that's coming. Um, and so uh, let's take just a classic super Mario brothers. 
running and hitting a jump or jumping on a Koompa's head is satisfying. Um, it's satisfying because you get to watch, watch the little Koompa get crushed or have the satisfaction of a jump accomplished. And you go, oh man, like that's amazing. Um, and then that happens every 10 seconds. And then every minute and a half or so, you either finish or you fail a level. And that's your other hit of you get to the end of the level. I'm thinking of Super Mario Brothers 3 in my head, but okay. you have that black screen that you run up and you jump up and you hit your reward. And then there's you know, I, there's like streamers or you slide up the flagpole. And yeah, that's yeah. your that's your medium level uh, hit. And then over the course of half an hour, you may accomplish a level which gets you to a castle where you have toad toad that's like the the princess is in another castle right <laughs> and all of these these gameplay loops exist to kind of bring little hits of dopamine but also to create this sense of satisfaction and accomplishment throughout the game um if you had to play a whole mario world all at once it would be so difficult to get to that end castle where the princess is at because you wouldn't receive any feedback or encouragement along the way right and so it's really cool to see gamification really get built into things. And so you see this all over the place. Like uh, I saw this app the other day and it was for like personal development and just like improving yourself and, you know, pushing yourself further, you know, in your, in your uh, like your personal habits and like to get, you know, your finances in order. And it's crazy because you, uh, you get points, for doing things. So if you fill out a journal entry, you get like 40 points. And oh, if, cool. if you like do a daily check-in where you talk about your positive and emotion, negative emotions, you get a certain amount of points. And um, when you do lessons, you get like a hundred points. And so it essentially is like this idea of like, and then once you get enough points, you can level up. And then the game goes, Hey, congratulations. You're now level three. Yeah. And it's like, you're, you're working on yourself. You're developing yourself. But what's cool is your brain is getting tricked into these gameplay loops. Yeah. Like um, it's, it's getting a reward at the end of it. It's getting a reward and watching that number go up. Yeah. Um, and what's cool is in, in this app, it's like, uh, when you level up, you get access to like new avatars. So you oh, can like cool. make your little, like your little picture, different ones. And obviously the higher you go, the cooler the pictures. Um, and yeah. it's just super cool to see this like gamification that's being built into things as simple as like personal development or as, um, as profound as personal development. Yeah. Like, like some of the examples that I'm thinking are like the Starbucks app. Right, like you oh, log on, yeah. you you buy your coffee, and then you get stars. Mm-hmm. And those stars are points, baby. Yeah, and like you cash those stars in, and you get more free coffee. And or if you, you get, get a en- pound of coffee, yeah, if you get enough of those stars, you get a gold membership. Oh, baby, yeah. yeah. And that gold card that that makes you, you know, you're you're a premium member. You're the upper echelon. Yeah, of you're society. better than everyone else. Hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and it's it's just it's cool to see those things kind of creeping into our everyday lives because they are really good motivators. But well, and one, one to the, um, just you talking about like the personal development one, another one that I'm thinking of now is headspace. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really good one specifically built around the idea of meditation and, um, developing your, your subconscious mind and all that. And there's, I think there's like sleep meditations you can do. There's calming, relaxing meditations, like mm-hmm. anti-anxiety stuff, but it's all based around like a point system too. Yeah. But around meditation and it's become like one of the most popular apps. And I think 
they may have a YouTube channel or something, but mm-hmm. it's become so crazy popular uh, because of this yeah. idea of gamification that you're being rewarded for doing something that's good for your brain. Yeah. And it's, it's cool because there's obviously these companies and these people that are finding really amazing ways of utilizing it. But I think it's also hell. It's also a really good thing to just know that it exists so that you can recognize it. Right. And you can go, Oh man, like look at the way that, uh, you know, Starbucks is a, is a pretty innocent example. Um, but like, you know, the way that this company is using gamification to, um, you know, uh, motivate me is maybe Mm. a kind word into using their products. And uh, more than I think anything, this is most evident in social media. Mm. Um, The simplest example of, of like just that little dopamine hit is a like or like a comment on Facebook and the idea of like, Oh, well, you know, I got a, I got 60 posts on this one, but I need to see that, that number go up. So I need to find better ways to engage with people. Um, And, I think in terms of recognizing that and then going, okay, tying that directly to, in particular with social media, like my own self-worth of like my self-worth is being gamified by how many likes I get. Yeah. And it exists for one purpose and it's to keep you looking at ads on Facebook. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I think like, and to, you know, and what's the cost of that too? Like not even just financially, but yeah. mentally, like mm-hmm. you're playing a game against yourself, honestly, like your, your own mind is the scoreboard that yeah. you're trying to, that you're trying to climb. Yeah. And to their credit, uh, I think a really healthy change on Instagram was that I think it is by default. Now you can't see how many likes a picture has had. Yeah. Um, which I think is actually a really healthy change that, um, I don't know, I probably due to social pressure more than anything, but, um, you know, fair play to them. They, they did it. Um, and so like, yeah, I think like that's only the person who owns that photo can see how many likes it's gotten. Yeah. And so you still end up kind of comparing yourself against yourself, but, sure. um, not against others. And so, uh, I think it's also helpful to know about these things, not just in a negative sense, but you can really, you can do this in your own life for yourself. Um, our brains are are not so complex to where this doesn't work when you're doing it to yourself. Right. And so many people do this already. Like the idea of going, well, once I'm done cleaning the house, I'll reward myself with some ice cream. Like you're essentially setting up a challenge and a reward, which is at its simplest gamification. Um, and my dad, I, I distinctly remember that we growing up in North Carolina, there were a lot of sticks that would fall on our property. Okay. And dad would go, uh, whoever can collect the most sticks in the next half an hour will get like a $10 gift card to, uh, to McDonald's or whatever. Oh baby. Uh, which I looking back is ridiculous. Cause he, he paid for all of our food. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what we were going to use that gift card for, but, uh, yeah, that idea of gamification. And so stepping into our own life and whether it's just having a calendar that each day we check off with a smiley face or a sad face going like today was a good day. Today was a bad day. Right. And then at the end of the month, comparing this month to last month and seeing if those numbers went up. Um, it's a powerful way of tricking our brains into doing things and being excited about it and being engaged in it. Um, in a way that oftentimes if we just go like, Oh, I just need to do this. I just need to improve. Yeah. Our, it's not fun and it's not enjoyable and oftentimes well, well done. I think too, like the more that your brain does something, the more that becomes reinforced. And yeah. 
and the the nasty flip side of it is the more that you don't do something, the more that becomes reinforced. Mm-hmm. So the more times you fail at something, like the amount of times that I've wanted to establish a good meditation practice or the amount of times that I've wanted to do a journal and then I don't do mm-hmm. it, that becomes as reinforced as the times when I do meditate every day for a week yeah. or the times that I do maybe crack open a journal and write down three sentences or whatever it is, right? Like those those times where you don't do things are just as powerful as the times that you do do things. And that also becomes reinforced. I think the reward mechanism for doing a positive thing obviously is stronger, but the effects that not doing things over the long term can also have on your own perception of yourself can also be really, mm-hmm. you know, harmful or beneficial. Yeah. And I, I joked when we were started talking about this of like using like addict language, of right. like addiction yeah. language, but it, it truly can be addictive. I of mean, course. that that's, that's a, I think a side that we're all kind of at least vaguely familiar with of um, you hear those stories of those people that, you know, play world of Warcraft for, 10 hours for like 14 hours a day yeah. um, and they don't eat and they, yeah, they don't and drink and they, yeah. Like there's know. that, there's that caricature on like South park of that one guy like yeah. slumped in front of his computer. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things of like, obviously things that are designed to be rewarding can obviously be abused and become addictive. Totally. Um, and so recognizing when you fall into that, but also it, it brings up a really interesting ethical question of is there such thing as a game that is too addicting? Mm. Like how do you design a game that is addicting enough <laughs> to where you keep your players playing and engaged and enjoying themselves, but not so engaging and so addictive that you create like negative um, feedback loops to where uh, people can't escape from your game. And um, as as I sit and think about design thinking about like the ethical implications of like well, how do you design these to where they're they're fun to play but not all encompassing and consuming yeah and they don't take over somebody's life and take over someone's time and you know probably most importantly their bank account yeah yeah there's actually there's a concept in uh in games called uh uh whales have you okay. ever, ever ever heard of a whale? I don't think so. So this this has to do with microtransactions. So microtransactions are the the right. Little, and we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, the little ninety nine cent or two ninety nine payments that you make, uh, mostly in mobile games, but they also exist in in big AAA games now too. Um, and the idea is that like an average player may spend ninety nine cents, but the reality is, is that most of them aren't going to spend any money at all. Um, a great example of this is my wife. She plays this little mobile game. We call it, she's putting balls in beakers. Right. And she just sorts <laughs> balls into beakers so that they all match the colors. Cool. She loves it. She's on level like 700. It's insane. <laughs> she's wow. never spent a dollar in the game. Yeah. And she sits and watches an ad after every single game. And I'm like, babe, you could pay $2.99 and get rid of those ads if you wanted. Like, you, you, you we, we are financially well enough that yeah. you can pay yeah. <laughs> $2.99 for this game that you clearly love. And she's like, no, I, I just, I don't mind watching the games. Like, I just look around when the ads are playing. Wow. And then I just go back to putting balls and beakers. Um, so the question comes, well, how are these games profitable then? Right if most people don't spend money and the majority of people that are spending money are spending next to no money is the idea that 1% of your players or half of a cent of your player or half a percent of your players are spending an exorbitant amount of money in your game. 
So they're spending on your game and microtransactions. And so the the business model there is that most people can pay no money, but as long as you have a couple of whales, your game's going to be profitable. Okay. Um, and this is this is just a well-known thing within microtransactions that um, it's it's almost unavoidable, um, but it can be I think ethically mitigated in terms of like if somebody wants to spend a thousand dollars in microtransactions in your game, they're going to do it. You can't stop them. Totally. Um, and in a sense, if they can and they want to, why should you? You know, like if like again, you, this this is a product to make money. Um, you know, at at the on like a bottom line on a on a spreadsheet, but um, making sure that when you're designing your game, it's not designed. Uh, I'll say maliciously with the intent of basically coaxing, coax, coaxing whales out, right? And being like, like, hey, are you a whale? You can, you can spend money here. You can spend money here. You can, spend, and just like constantly hitting them with that, yeah, um, and like bombarding even with ads or. Yeah, in the game of being like, yeah. oh, you failed that level. Wouldn't you love to pay th- three, you know, d- you know <laughs> three cherries in order to replay this level? And a cherry only costs you. Well, you can buy a pack of twenty cherries for two ninety nine, and it's like, yeah. well, then what am I actually paying to replay this level? Because you have to buy cherries, and then you spend cherries. And if you want to buy something in the game, it's never going to be the exact amount of cherries that you can buy in the store. You always mm. have to buy more, like. Well, and that's a whole like free to play system too. Yeah. So like one game that I play every day, I yeah. will say shamelessly is Pokemon Go. Absolutely. I've been playing since the day it came out. There was a while where I wasn't playing it, but I've been playing it pretty hard for the last like probably two years, if not more. And so one of the things that they have is um, you can pay money to get coins in the game and then you spend those coins on things, but you can mm-hmm. also get coins by doing tasks. One of the main task being you put your Pokemon in a gym and he defends that gym. And if he's in there for eight hours, you get 50 coins at the end of the day when, when he's defeated. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Um, and but you know, doing stuff like that every day takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and you got to find a gym to put your guy in and you got to make sure that he stays in there for the eight hours. And yeah. so there's a lot of variables in there too, but you can also just like pay 30 bucks and get, 2000 some coins right and so um it's that like microtransaction thing but then also there is an option Mm -hmm. to just make the money naturally on your own and where the ethical question comes in from a design standpoint is how much work do you have to put in to get those coins on your own right Um, yeah and that's lovingly referred to as the grind yeah so how much grind do i have to put in in order to get a loot box or a thing of coins um, and making sure that it's still rewarding to work to get those things in the game, but not so difficult to where it makes it virtually impossible to actually get those things. And I think um, that's definitely a balance that you got to figure out as a developer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I mean, ultimately all video games are are numbers and uh, the guy that one of the guys that I work with, uh, he says, um, if if a good screenplay writer is turning words into emotions, a good game designer is turning numbers into emotions. Oh, and that's so cool. the idea of going like, well, how long of a grind does a player need in order for something to feel satisfying? 
to where it doesn't feel unfair. Um, and so like a game, uh, Star Wars Battlefront was a oh, game yeah. that came out a couple of years ago. Um, and somebody worked out that if you were to just play the game the way it was intended and grind to unlock, I think it was Darth Vader as a playable character. Cool. It was over 40 hours that you would have to play of the game just to unlock a basic character. Like this isn't some ridiculous end game thing. It was just to play as like your favorite star Wars character, 40 hours. You could also pay $7 and right. just unlock and just, him. And then you just have him. Yeah. yeah. And so it's that, it's that balance there of trying to find what works and the, the proliferation and the popularization of um, free to play games is really brought that question to the forefront of if you give your your whole game away, um, how do you make sure that that's monetized correctly um, to where your company can afford to stay afloat? Right. Uh, the game that did this and popularized this is a little game. You've probably never heard of it called Fortnite. Mm, I don't think I've ever heard <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. little game. Uh, it's definitely not everyone's nine-year-old little cousin is playing <laughs> this game this exact moment. Seriously. <laughs> um, and... Fortnite is made by this game, uh, this uh, uh, company called Epic, Epic Games uh, Studios, and um, they're huge within the industry. And they kind of stumbled upon this thing kind of on accident, actually. Uh, Fortnite um, Battle Royale was originally a added game mode to a full game called Fortnite. I think it was called Save the World. Oh, really? And it was this cooperative game that you could play. And then uh, you paid, I think, 30 bucks for it. And you could just play it like a normal game. And then another game came out called uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, PUBG. And popularized oh, I remember this PUBG, yeah. gameplay of uh, Battle Royale, of like Last Man Standing, you know, 100 people on a map and Last Man Standing wins. Uh, and so Fortnite went, oh, we can quickly pivot our game and just add on a free game mode to basically get people to buy our game of the save the world. And so they created this other game mode and it blew up. Like everyone in the world is playing it. And yeah. like you would be, it would be difficult to find a, you know, a, a boy aged 10 to 14 that hasn't played a bunch of Fortnite. And what was even crazier than that it blew up was how much money they made. Right. Like I, so I, I, I looked it up so that I could say for sure. So in um, 2018, this game is free to play. So yeah. in microtransactions only, do you want to take a guess at how much money it made in 2018? 30 million. I don't know. $2.4 billion. Holy smokes. That's twice what Endgame made. <laughs> 2.4. What? And that's a and that's, that's insane. That's only 2018. 2019 they made another 1.8 billion and they still make over like a billion dollars every year. Unreal. On a game that's free to play. Yeah. And people you know the the joke is like, you know, kids with their parents credit cards, but right, yeah. you know, yeah. whales are yeah. willing to spend a lot of money and uh Fortnite for better or worse is monetized aggressively. <laughs> Oh, of course. To to where yeah. they 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 make a lot of money for good reason, and it's really cool. I say cool in a sense of like it's interesting to study how they've set up that game model um, to be so profitable as free to play, and also just to have longevity. The sure. game the games doesn't the game's not a whole lot different than what it was when it came out three years ago, but it's still got a huge player base that's active and engaged and paying money. Um, 
and it's really impressive to see what what Epic has done with Fortnite through the last couple of years. Well, that reminds me, like just speaking of of free to play games, like Pokemon Go is a free to play game, mm-hmm. and they did this thing last summer called Go Fest. And I think we were talking about it the yeah. other day, um, where they had two days. It was a Saturday Sunday over a weekend, and players that bought a ticket mm-hmm. could access a bunch of events throughout a 12 hour period for the two days of the event. So 10 o'clock AM to 10 o'clock PM on the Saturday and Sunday was go fest. And so they had raids they had special Pokemon spawning at different times. They had tasks that you accomplish. They had exclusive Pokemon for that event. They had exclusive rewards and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Right. And so the ticket in Canadian dollars was about 30 bucks. Yeah. And I figured, I've been playing this game since 2016 when it first launched and I've really enjoyed my time with it. And I've gotten into a group of people that play um, when I was living in another part of the city here and I'm in a group chat for people that are playing Pokemon go in this area of the city. And I'm in another group chat for the area that I'm living in right now. And it's, it's super fun, but it's something that I actively play every day and so for me it was worth it to spend 30 bucks to get a bunch of extra stuff and so what pokemon go or the company that develops pokemon go niantic what they made off of go fest in 2020 was 17 and a half million dollars yeah off of a two-day event from players all around the world like it's crazy when what's what you know to put it into perspective um, for my wife and I to go to the movies is more than $30. Sure. Of course. And that's certainly time enjoyed spent together. It's an experience, but it's two, two and a half hours for 30 bucks. Um, and so t- oftentimes we think about things differently because they're video games, but ultimately if you're given in this case, like two days of entertainment, that's, that's a really cool opportunity and something that's very cool. And, Ultimately, I think there are two ways of looking at something like that. You can give it the cynical look of like, oh, yeah, they're just they have an engaged player base. How can they continue to make money off of their player base? Yeah, of course. Which is fine. You can view it that way. And but again, it's just business. Yeah. At look, the end of the day, if, if you want your favorite game to continue to exist, they have to continue to make money. Yeah. Um, but it's also such a cool idea. And I love that idea because like. Pokemon's like we we talk about uh, like central pillars in game design and most games would have like three central pillars that are the the core of what they are and um Pokemon goes I I would say central pillar is uh community and building community totally and so by almost like creating like uh like almost like a convention on a weekend of like wherever you're at with whoever you play with, yeah. you can be a part of Pokey convention or whatever, PokeCon or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can be a part of that and experience this. And I almost, I almost think of that similar as to like, I have, uh, I've had tickets now for a year and a half to go to Comic-Con here in the city. Right. And because of COVID it's been pushed back a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, and it's like this, this time that I've got set aside just to, enjoy all that comic-con is and all the ridiculousness and get together with a whole bunch of other nerds that are like me and celebrate nerd culture and comics and movies and video games and that's something that i'm really looking forward to and 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 what brings you all as strangers together yeah and ultimately like uh 
one, I paid a whole lot more than $30 for my tickets sure. to Comic-Con. <laughs> sure. So I'm a little jealous of that. But ultimately, and maybe to bring this all together, I think that's the power of video games. And then also just to bring it in with the other thing that I spent a lot of time thinking about is the internet. Yeah, of, of We can look at the internet in this way of like this new technology that's, you know, caused all of these issues with, you know, cybersecurity and Facebook and self-identity and, and, you know, all of these issues that the internet has, has provided. And online gaming, you know, like where people are playing stuff like World of Warcraft for days and days at a time. And absolutely playing online with people. Yeah. But I think more than that, where the internet is truly amazing and where it shines is in the ways that it connects people and the way that video games connect people. Yeah. And I think a, a great story that, that really sums this up, uh, my, my, my best friend, his name's Brayden. He's a really cool guy. And uh, a number of years back, I was going through a really hard patch. Um, and I didn't want to talk to anyone. I had pretty pretty much holed myself up in my little apartment at the time and was in a really dark place. And um, he shot me a message on Discord, which is like an online chat for video games, and was like, hey, man, just want to play PUBG tonight? And I was like, sure, like, that's fine. Like, we can hop on. So we hopped online together and like our headsets were connected like through through the internet and we played a game together and I was like, yeah, so like, do you kind of want to talk through the stuff going on? And he was like, you know what, man? Like, let's just play some games and enjoy one another's company. Mm. And I look back at that as like one of the the greatest blessings that I've I've ever received. And like the exact thing I needed in that moment was video games online with my best friend. And I see all these communities that pop up through even World of Warcraft. World yeah. of Warcraft's a really fun game. And I've I've met people and had great times on it and, you know, accomplished huge things on the internet. And even last night, uh, a buddy that, uh, Colton, the guy that I work with, he and I just went online and, and raced race cars against each other for fun. Cool. Um, and just the ability to connect and laugh and have fun, I think, is is truly where gaming in particularly shines in terms of the, the community that can build where especially right now during covid where you can't sit down across the table from your friends and just play a board game or enjoy one of those company but you can both boot up Fortnite totally for free yeah hop into a match in trios or quads or whatever and just play together and have a good time when everyone dies <laughs> and there's these services that are available on the internet for free mm-hmm. and you can go on programs like discord and you can play actual board games with yeah. people online too yeah or even like uh my family lives in my parents live in florida my brother lives in chicago right and we've had family game nights where we all hop on zoom together and then i make a jackbox game and then share my screen and yeah. we just play jackbox together and what would have without the internet and without video games once have been an impossible way to connect with people and just have fun and laugh and make silly jokes connects our family. Um, totally. Not just during COVID, but just during normal times when we want to hang out and enjoy one of those company and have a good time. Yeah. Like that's so even powerful. my, my parents and then my Oma and aunt. So my mom's mom and her sister, mm-hmm. the four of them every Sunday after church, they've always gotten together and played canasta together or they play dominoes yeah. or they play crib or they play, whatever else right and so what they've been doing every week now and sometimes now 
multiple times during the week is they just get on WhatsApp and they do a video chat mm. and they play dice together. Mm. And it's still them doing the thing that they do every week, but just in a different way. Yeah. And they each have their own set of dice in front of them and they're rolling their dice. And then they say, okay, this rolls onto you there. Oma. And then she'll go and do her role. And yeah. even in that little way, using a program like mm-hmm. WhatsApp over the internet to connect two houses together and just play a game of dice like they would every other Sunday anyway. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful and it's different of course, yeah. but it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, especially through my, my day job, which is, you know, bringing internet to rural communities, like that's something that is just as valuable out in the middle of the boonies and, uh, you know, rural Alberta as it is, you know, in, in downtown Calgary and why, like in my mind, like the internet is a, um, a utility. It is necessary. It is core to uh, modern life and, uh, everyone should have access to it Absolutely. so that, you know, no matter who you are, you can hop online and learn to make a video game or you can hop online and, and play dice with your, your family after church. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a really powerful thing. I mean, even, you know, I, I get to look at the analytics of this show already and I've seen mm. people that listen from like Italy mm. and people have listened from all over the States and like Spain and the UK. And I'm like, that's insane. Yeah. That's something I just put up on the internet yeah. is readily available around the world. And it's being consumed by people around the world. It yeah. blows my mind. Like I and saw that there a few weeks ago and I couldn't believe it. I had to, I posted it in a story, I think on my Instagram feed. And it was just wild. How, how connected the internet actually makes everything. And as much as we hear about, you know, horror stories about of the internet and how it, how it connects just these things that are obviously terrible, um, I think it's also cool to see how, whereas you and I previously could have had a voice that at most could have reached a few tens, hundreds of people here sure. locally, yeah. Um, but now we get the opportunity because of the internet to share hopefully a positive story and interesting things about video games or our lives or music or what, what, you know, some of the other great topics that your hosts have talked about, like their, their homes or raising kids. And, um, like that, I think that's something to be celebrated and something that's, that's really cool to see. for you what is one thing that you wish people knew and understood about game development and video games in general great question um i think in terms of games in general is that there are so many different types of games and i genuinely believe that there's a game out there for everyone cool um and it can be intimidating if you don't know what you're doing and you 
you're overwhelmed or if you've only ever seen, you know, your, your teenage son or some friend playing call of duty and going, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to play that game. That, that looked hard or it didn't look inviting or fun. Um, there are such a wide range of games from intense competitive games to games that are entirely meant to just, and not even in the sense of like, uh, like a calm app, but like I've played games where there, I think it's maybe called Iris. Uh, but it's like, uh, just a game about self-exploration cool. and it's almost a game of meditation. It's visually beautiful. There's no failing. Like you can't lose the game. Um, you just play it and enjoy the time that you have with it. Or if you enjoy playing cards, sitting down to play Hearthstone or Gwent, yeah. um, is, is really fun. And, uh, the format itself of video games allows for things that I don't think could ever have been accomplished any other way. Um, I think of like Spider-Man. Mm, Spider-Man is a, yeah. such a, a, such a fun movie. Uh, but watching a Spider-Man film, you never walk out going, man, I, I feel just like Spider-Man. Like, no, you, you, you watch Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire or, or the other one that I never watched. Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Andrew yeah. Garfield. <laughs> like you walked out and like Tom Holland was Spider-Man, but you weren't. But when you sit down to play a video game of Spider-Man, and you're web zipping through, you know, New York and, you know, beating up bad guys. Like in that moment, you are Spider-Man. Yeah. And when you have to make tough choices in a game like um, The Witcher 3 or Cyberpunk or The Last of Us, and you have to decide between like choices that could lead to somebody dying or living, like that's not just a character in a story, but that's somebody who's essentially with without you know making this like without going too over the top like that's that's a life that's in your hand sure, sure it's it's an imaginary story of course but like that that doesn't mean it's it's any less impactful and it's a story that you've invested time and yeah. energy into into Absolutely. a character that you're playing that of course isn't you but you're investing yourself into that story yeah and why should a video game story be any less impactful than a tv show or a book or a movie mm. Totally. We've all cried after a good movie or a good book. Um, and games have the ability to do the same thing. But instead of reading about another character, you are the main character. And I think that that's really, really powerful. Uh, whether you're playing Doom and sending the legions of hell back to back to hell or yeah. you are um, playing The Last of Us and you're carrying your um, adoptive daughter through in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, that's That's really cool. And then when it comes to game development, uh, I think I had this, this perception that it was like this idyllic space that was just a lot of fun. Mm. Um, and not that it's not fun, especially working for a smaller indie uh, developer, um, but especially within the big industries, uh, there's, there's a concept called crunch that before a game comes out often for like a month or two or three months prior to a game, like, uh, people are often working really, really hard, long, 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 long hours. Yeah. Um, and making sh or trying my best to support companies that don't do that. Um, and then also, uh, I want to go and just like kick myself every time as a kid, I was like, my dream job is a video game tester. Video game testing sucks. <laughs> oh, it's, it's tedious. It's long. You have to play the same stuff over and over and over again. Trying, just like, trying to get out. it, just trying to get it to break. Yeah. 
and going, okay, like I was testing a game today where it's like, okay, this asset moves fine when I build it on my computer, but when we build it in WebGL and host it on the internet, all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. Right. And it's like, oh, why does that do that? Uh, and then sitting down and, and trying to think creatively of like, okay, how is this code working here and not there? And and then going and testing and testing it again and then testing it again and then handing it off to quality assurance. And then they find it and break it in a new way. And then you have to go in and fix it. Yeah. Um, but it's all in that pursuit of it's it's like it's like playing your guitar until your fingers bleed, but mm. you do it in pursuit of an amazing guitar lick or, you know, a great song or the ability to play through a show and not have, and have the calluses on your finger. Um, and just being able to create something really cool that isn't going to be buggy and isn't going to, you know, take people out that, out of that experience, but just work well, um, and create an amazing experience for the people that play it. Because ultimately there's this kind of really sad catch 22 of you make this amazing game, but by the time that you're done with it, the magic of the game is gone for you because mm. you've seen under the hood, you know, all the numbers, you've played it over and over and over yeah. again to you've, where you've unlocked all the achievements. Yeah. Everything. You, you designed all the achievements. You unlocked them all. You've unlocked them all a thousand times. You've done the achievement and not had it unlocked and then figured out why that bug wasn't allowing you to unlock that achievement. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and then you get to the end and you're ended. You, I, I said at the beginning, like we all just want to sit down and make the games we want to play. And yeah. we, we end up with a game that goes, man, this is exactly the kind of game I want to play. It's no longer for me, but it's for everyone I've made it for. And then you get to hand it off to players and consumers who fingers crossed, Lord willing, this is a day I'm not looking forward to. You yeah. have to sit back and just, watch the reviews yeah, and hope that people like it. And you know, the, the dream I have of one day of just being able to watch a Twitch streamer play a game that I got to work on, um, is, is really cool. And just watch somebody really have fun. And, uh, I mentioned like, like watching my mom play a game that I coded, um, is, is a cool, a cool dream I have. And, and one that's, that's quickly approaching, which is, is really cool and very fortunate given, the the rapid pace at, w at which I've gotten into this of like it's crazy that like I started coding last summer and here I am getting ready to wrap up a project that's going to get a, a worldwide release like that's yeah that's that's a, an incredible blessing um and something that keeps me very humble <laughs> it's hard of to course. get proud when you haven't been doing this for yeah. like a full year yeah. um and uh, just gets me excited for like, well, what can we, what can the studio do in five years? Mm. You know, like what amazing things can we accomplish then? Uh, and what sorts of experiences can we create for our players that have that ability to make people feel like a badass or, you know, break someone's heart over a story or give that person that sense of accomplishment after a long, hard day at work. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a an incredibly powerful ability that you have when you uh when you design games. Well, thanks, man. This has been fun. Yeah. You know, chatting video games. Yeah, I, I could talk about fun games time. all night long. I, I uh it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for having me and for sitting down and chatting about games and uh kind of my story and how I got here over the last five or six years. And yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for Thanks for sitting down and just hanging out and, uh, and for sharing your story and sharing what you're working on. And 
Um, we'll definitely have to, yeah. Whenever whenever this game is released, we'll have to absolutely make an announcement here on the on the podcast too about it. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, if you want to support local creators that are making cool stuff, you should subscribe to this podcast and <laughs> subscribe to uh, the Patreon um, to uh, support developers. We've talked a lot about monetization um, and Patreon is a really cool way uh, to ethically support people that yeah, uh, you want to support. So yeah, there's <laughs> well, a shout out for you. <laughs> shameless plug. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Well, like Josh mentioned, I am on Patreon. <laughs> Um, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash unexpected experts. I've got a bunch of different tiers for membership. And um, after we recorded this episode, Josh and I actually kept talking about another area that he's really interested in, which is Formula One racing. So if you want to hear a little episode about that, head over to Patreon and check it out there. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at unexpected experts or on our website at unexpectedexperts.com. Thanks so much, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Unexpected Experts Podcast.